Welcome to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast. This is episode 51. The club are announcing their pre-season fixtures on May the 1st. They will have two of them in Wales and the players will all be back in training by mid-June, which is actually not that far away. Now, nearly a year of the pod and the quality of guests just keep on coming. Many thanks for the feedback from our series and the couple of specials we've had so far. More on the anniversary next week. Our guest this week is definitely one of the club's greats, who represented London Welsh for nine seasons and saw all our adventures from National 1 to the Championships and up and down into the Premiership. We get to understand how much playing for the club meant to him and understand how he managed to be so consistent with his fitness and hardly missing a game in nine seasons when he's been playing in the engine room a second row. He has worked with a number of top coaches in his time at Welsh and Wasps and uses all that knowledge as he now develops his own coaching style at Canterbury. Our guest this week is Matt Corker. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by London Welsh Developments. London Welsh Developments offer the entire range of services for all your home needs, from plumbing, electrical, joinery and building and maintenance. There are many years of experience building all forms of extensions and conversions, the odd new build and some bespoke garden rooms and home offices. You will clearly see the attention to detail and understanding of your home that is difficult to match. They really do care and want the best for your home with no stone left unturned. For more information, contact London Wells Developments on 0208 335 9123 or email on info at lwdltd.co.uk, London Welsh Developments. Welcome to the pod, former club captain, Matt Corker. How are you, Matt? I'm very well, thanks, Gareth. Good stuff. Now, I know for some people, lockdown has been busy time, but for you, you've had twins within the last year, so that you've had your third and fourth child. How's that been for you and the family? Yeah, I, I, I'd love to tell you it's been plain sailing, but it, it's been uh, it's been carnage at times. And we, I feel quite fortunate, I think, because of the lockdown. Obviously, had a long time when there was not a lot for me to do in rugby, and I've been able to spend a lot of time with the family and, and sort of spend more time with the babies. And if I'm honest. Having two babies at the same time is completely different gravy. So it's, it's definitely been helpful to us. And I know it's been a really hard time for a lot of people, so I feel bad saying that. But um, I think it would have been a very tough year or whatever, and me being around a bit more has probably made that easier. Well, you've got, you got four boys, you were saying, before we started recording, and which is like, you know, manic. Obviously, in lockdown, you don't necessarily get the help from other relatives you can get sometimes because people weren't allowed to visit each other's family. So, that, you know, lucky that you were around to help your missus absolutely i have to disclose to be fair my mother-in-law moved in just before lockdown so she was with us for 12 weeks so i'm sorry uh, to hear that matt <laughs> hopefully she won't hear this but no she was amazing to be and that made the whole thing a lot easier and it's nice for her because it's just her and the young girl that she fostered so they had some company and we obviously had a lot of extra help so that that, that was good for all of us but um it, yeah it was, it was obviously very difficult it, was, it took quite a long time for my mum to be able to hold the babies and stuff yeah. like that yeah, it was a bit difficult at the beginning. So, but, so are you building like a little rugby team, like a seven side? Is that is that the is that the plan in the future? 
absolutely finished now, completely done. <laughs> I, I thought two children was going to be better, Gareth, but I, I'm very lucky to have four. <laughs> That's what people tell me anyway. Yeah, you know, you're very fortunate. But I'm sure you must have had, um, you know, when you've got four children, like myself, you, you take every opportunity you can to get out of the house. So did you manage to escape occasionally and try and keep yourself fit or whatever it was? <laughs> I didn't turn down many working opportunities, Gareth, whenever they, whenever they popped up. That was, uh, I was very diligent on that side of things. In terms of exercise, it has really hit the skids for me in the last uh, year and a bit. Um, haven't really done a lot at all and it's it's sort of my summer project to actually try and fix my aching back and my creaky hips and all that sort of stuff but um, yeah no I, I should definitely have done a little bit more but being sleep deprived doesn't really make me fancy going for a 5k <laughs> run so. no I get that have you officially retired now because I know um, you know chatting to Millsy he played the odd game for Austin Park and came back to playing a London Welsh match just before lockdown oh, yeah. so but have you have you have you called it a day so the last season that was sort of finished early for us. I um I was supposed to be retired and I played about 17 times, I think it was. In uh, we got promoted and I played in National One. Um it was a tough year for us, but we learned a lot. But yeah, so I played quite a lot of times when I was sort of supposed to be stepping back. But I think now um that I'm gonna be head coach, um, or I am head coach, I think there's just too much for me to do. And it's also time for someone else to get some game time as well. I've been hogging it for plenty of years now and uh, it's nice to be part of someone else's journey I suppose that's sort of how I look at it No, that, that's fair enough look, um, first and foremost before we get into talk about your career and stuff I wanted to quick put it on your dad because um, I got to know Roy a few times watching you know, on the touchlines he's quite, quite <coughs> popular with London Wells supporters you know I didn't, didn't get I don't know your mum sorry but I'm sure she came she was no, there no, as well no, but Roy was quite yeah. pop. you know where he's like he's quite chatty yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. he so uh, he how, how, how is Roy that's, you know, that's the key thing he's very good actually he it's, so when I joined Canterbury, just a bit of backstory, Canterbury are the local rivals to my home club, Fanny Wanderers, just down the road. And uh, for the first two seasons, that every time he came to watch me play, he'd wear his Stanley Wanderers shirt, even though he was watching me play for Canterbury. He wanted everyone to know where I'd start out. So he, he hasn't changed. And uh, yeah, no, he's, he's been such a massive part of my rugby journey. And it's, it's just been great for me to be able to share with him. And he, he's been there every step of the way. And it sort of preparing for talking to you, he actually made me... Um, a scrapbook seems a little bit sort of doing it down but he he's made like a journal of our year the first time we got promoted of all like the newspaper cuttings that he kept and stuff and it, it's just great looking through them sort of things and, and remembering the amazing times that we had so yeah you know he's very well um still enjoying rugby i'm not sure what he's going to do this is obviously the first season i won't be playing it's not quite the same watching watching your lad on the side of the field but i'm sure he'll work it out i'm sure he'll be giving you some coaching advice when he's doing <laughs> so as, as he was <laughs> encouraging you some, when you're playing so uh, that's it he's got some great ideas so I, I need to mention him. <laughs> he's to his level five is he yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah I think he's done like six or something like that yeah, so, so now you said you're a head coach but you've got you've had uh, quite a few jobs around coaching so how, how challenging has this been in during the pandemic for you to, in not being able to <laughs> yeah. to go out and work I suppose as, as you'd like to no it's, it's really difficult and I think from the Canterbury first team the main the main thing for us was Obviously, it's quite everyone. I think when you think of the pandemic, for me, everyone has been affected, and, and but everyone's been affected in such a different way. So when you've got a squad of you know we've got forty lads on like our WhatsApp, well, I think it's more than that, fifty lads on our WhatsApp group. We sort of wanted to make sure that they stayed in different things, just to sort of make sure that we we kept communicating with each other. But then also just reaching out and making sure that if anyone was having a tough time, especially with some of the mental health issues in young men, it's, it's a real big issue. Um, we wanted to make sure that we supported our lads 
through those sort of things. And and, and the school stuff, some of the schools um, I was able to still keep going into at certain times, which was great, just getting back on the grass. And we talked about getting out of the house earlier, so that was a great opportunity for me to do that too. I'm sure it was. Now, when, when the RFU stopped the season, you were in National 1, you were in the bottom two. Are you still in National 1 going into um, next season? Uh, unfortunately not. I, I, you know, I, I would love to say that we were going to go on an amazing run. and It would have been great to have the opportunity to, to see, to really test ourselves because I think, I don't really need to tell you, any time it seems a team is promoted, it, it takes you a while to find your feet and it, it definitely took us a little while to adjust to the level. Um, and I did feel in the weeks, our last game, we actually won and we were really making some some really good progress. And I was I was looking forward to seeing how we finished off. But um, no, we were relegated, which is, you know, I, I don't think we can have any complaints about that. Um, and we're looking forward to our season in that two south next year. So, so, we, so you, last year then you were pitching with wits against Richard Thorpe at Chinna and Millsy at Roslyn Park. So it's like that yeah. London Welsh family always comes back somehow, doesn't it? To, to appear, you know, it's ugly head or something, doesn't it? It's, it's hilarious. When I first joined Canterbury, people were, were talking to me. They're like, Did you, do you know anyone in, in National Tier? I was like, no, 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 I, I don't think I know anyone. And I'm not even exaggerating. Pretty much every single week there was someone I played with at London Welsh, either coaching or they were watching their mates or they're on the field and... I was. I might not have played at many teams, but my, during my time at Welsh, I've played with hundreds of players, <laughs> yeah. and uh, not even joking. Like some, years, some years, some years would have a fifty percent turnover. So it was, <laughs> it was, there were some pretty big uh, revolving doors at times. And it, the thing, what, one of my greatest, you know, really greatest joys now is actually meeting lads. And you might not have seen them for years, but you still have that connection over the time that you spent and just catching up and seeing how they are. And yeah, that's what rugby is fantastic for, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I love all that. I love hearing everyone talking about it. They never talk about the games or results, just the mates they have, the camaraderie, yeah. the, any sort of tours or, you know, dr- drinks, pubs, matches. I, I, I love yeah. that. But um, so one thing I want to ask, there's, there's a new sort of uh, league structure being put in place, isn't it, by the, um, Nash, for the national leagues. Is, how, how could that impact Canterbury? Because it could be an expanding, um, they're going to take 14 teams in national one, aren't they? So it could be more challenging for you to get there, couldn't it? Yeah, it, the benefit for us is, so our level that we're at now, National 2, will be split into three leagues, um, three leagues of 14 teams. So one, you lose one team, so there'll be two less games a season, which at the moment it's a 30-game season and often up to Christmas, that's 17 games in a row, which you know, in terms of player welfare, it's, it's just too much. So having less teams, we're going to get a couple of extra weekends off, which is great. And the other thing is it's going to be more regional. So at the moment, we go down to Red Roof. So boys have to finish work on like a Friday. We get on the bus, we drive to about half 11 and, and then you get up the next morning and you still got a couple of hours on the bus. And it, I was having this conversation the other day with someone and it's, you, you don't want to take away these great experiences of playing at these really historic clubs all over the country. But it is a lot to ask for someone who's got a full-time job and potentially might have a family. And to do that, we have to go west quite a lot. So there's like three or four times a season where we might have to do that sort of overnight. And it's a lot for us. So having the games a little bit more local, I think helps potentially maybe extend people's careers and stuff, which is great. And it helps us with that sort of work, work, rugby, life balance. I think, so for me personally, I think it's a good direction for us to go in. Yeah, no, I think it is. Well, I'm not sure how it's going to impact um, London Welsh further down the line because we're playing at level six 
and you'll be at level four, I suppose that is, isn't it? Yes, that's right. So yeah, that's right. Who knows? You know, give it um, a couple of seasons to be playing against one of your sides, eh? Which would be quite nice for us, wouldn't it, to, to do that? So uh, fingers crossed. They were looking. At, let's look at where it all started for you, because you're, you're from Kent and you've gone back there. Was was rugby the natural sport for you, or did you play lots of sports when you were growing up? Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I, I would call myself a bit of a accidental athlete if I'm honest and I, I think it wasn't really until I sort of maybe started playing for teams slightly lower down the leagues I realised I was fortunate as an athlete I think um, I basically played football at school but I didn't play rugby until I was 12 and so I went to secondary school we've got the grammar system here and I was lucky enough to go to a grammar school and I started there and that sort of led to me going to my local club when I was about 13 and I suppose that's relatively late for some players I remember I was listening to your podcast with Paulie and he was Knocking about a five, so a few, <laughs> I mean, he's got a broken he, body, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say I'm doing that much better. He would say probably that's why he, he was better than me because he started earlier. But, um, but yeah, so I, I, I think it wasn't really until I was about fourteen or fifteen I, I actually sort of grabbed it by the horns and started playing a bit better. My dad, I think, made a bet with me that he'd give me twenty pounds if I scored seven tries. I'd never really scored a try. I think I scored about nine that season. So like the financial incentive was obviously what I needed. And uh, yeah, I, as I got to sixth form, I, I sort of had a little bit of county rugby, but we're not, where I'm from in the Southeast, it's not like loads of big clubs. My local team, like it's a great community club, fan it, but they, they decided not to play players and that sort of has held them back, I suppose. Not held them back, that's just the path they've chosen, which is, you know, is absolutely fine, but it's going to limit your, sort of progress especially when if you draw like a 20 mile 20 mile sort of ring around Thanet 75% of it's probably seen so it's in terms of catchment areas there's not most people but um, it wasn't really until I went to university I suppose that things started moving for me um, I managed to play for England universities in my first year and it was then that I suppose I sort of I sort of realized it's actually this, this sort of could go somewhere and I, I got a bit more excited about it because I went to Bath yeah. Um, and obviously there's like it was a great rugby town and having the club in the town was obviously like a great inspiration, but it was never really in, in my sort of thoughts when I when I first joined university. And then I was playing with people who were involved with the club and or in different sort of in different ways and it sort of opened up my eyes to that being a possibility, which is you know something that I never expected really. So a rugby um, career was never um in your mind until you went to university. So I so say you played county. And did, had yeah. you played any senior rugby when you were like 17, 18 for your local side? Or was it, was it too early for you then? It was a little bit early. We had, my, my school rugby was was really competitive. Like the school team, we pushed really hard. And we had a really good Cox team um, at Thanet. And I was playing with my friends at that. And I, I think I might have played once for the first team. But it wasn't, yeah, no, it wasn't, wasn't something that I really got into. And maybe that would have been, I think it would have been a good experience for me. It was, it was a shame that I didn't. I can't really think why I didn't. But um, yeah, I, I think I had some trials for the southeast. I didn't really get in, and yeah, it wasn't really. I, at that point, I was just the skinniest boy though as well. I remember my my rugby coach being worried that my legs were snapped when I was running around <laughs> and stuff. So, it, in in terms of build, yeah, I, I definitely get that from my mum's side, like proper skinny. But um, people would say that not a lot changed with ten years of full time training. But uh, yeah, no, and yeah, so that's sort of when it when it when it looked like more of a possibility, really, when I was at university. And so as you played sort of box, <coughs> is it box Super League then, is it? So, it's, so rugby is taken seriously at some universities and you were at university, they were taken seriously and you, and you realised then you had potential, some, some potential to pursue it as a career? 
Yeah, it's very funny how life is. I, I actually didn't realise, but Yestin Lewis was the coach at Bath. And this is all predate Super Rugby. It was just like, um, it was fucked. But um, Yestin Lewis is actually Rob and James's uncle. Uh, Rob, Rob and James Lewis. Yeah. I saw him at a game like, many years later. And I hadn't made the connection. But he, to be fair to him, he actually made a real difference. He 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 moved me to number eight. And some people are probably be quite surprised to hear that. But I think there, there was a gap. He sent me down the local sports shop and he told me to get like a scrum hat and a forearm guard and some shoulder pads just to sort of make me look a little bit more menacing. <laughs> and, you know, to be fair, he really encouraged me in that sort of way to, to impose myself on the game. And, it, and it, yeah, I think it definitely helped me sort of have higher expectations of myself and, uh, and like sort of move my rugby forward in that way. And then I played again for like the proper England universities. Um, and I, had a, I did have one game for English students, which was led by Steve Hill, but he didn't put me on, which I, uh, I, I forgave him for when he, when he let me come back to Richmond. <laughs> but, um, and then at the very end of my university career, I, I got seen by Wasps playing um, against St. Mary's for my university. And then in my last year, I went and played, I must have played about four or five, 18 games. I was lucky. My wife was actually, well, she wasn't my wife then. Um, my girlfriend was... Um, living in Surbiton already she was studying uh, in Kingston and I stayed with her and I'd play for Wasps out in Henley and then I'd go back to uni in Bath and uh, after that they they offered me a contract. So so you're playing for university playing a bit for Wasps was any sub not saying play well for issues but you're probably playing quite a low rugby were you playing on a Saturday or a Sunday for a club side while you're at university or just yeah. midweek Wednesday? Yeah just midweek Wednesday it, it's funny it, there wasn't that natural tie-up now I think good universities, they have that Saturday, Wednesday team, don't they? It, it wasn't really like that. And I, I played quite a lot of rep stuff. I remember playing for Somerset when I was down there. Um, and yeah, it just was like the university rugby was quite full on. It was, you know, we trained twice a week, every day on a Wednesday. And, and then when being in the university stuff kicked off, that was, that was like sort of filled in the, the gaps around it, I suppose. And as a university, the, the refueling post-matches is probably a bit different now than it was in your day. So I take it was quite, it's quite a good social scene post-match as well those days. Yeah, it definitely was. It, it was, it was, I always sort of had a foot in two camps. So my degree was chemistry. So that was, that was quite full on. And I made some really good friends in my course and they were the people I lived with. And then the guys um, who I played with on a Wednesday, they, a lot of them lived together and stuff like that. So we definitely, you know, had a drink with them as well. And I'd, I'd sort of go out with my, my friends in my course as well. So I sort of was, it did a bit of everything really, I suppose. So when you sat, so obviously, you know, from doing your chemistry degree to signing for Wasp, you said you played for Wasp in the A-League. So who was, who was talking to you at Wasp? And did you have other options to sign for any other teams or was it just Wasps? And they said, look, and you, and you signed pro terms for them post-graduating. Post yeah, it was a funny time. I sort of didn't really know what I was going to do, if I was honest. Um, I think it was either sign to play for Wasps or I was going to, I was thinking about doing like a postgrad, maybe doing like a doctorate um, in chemistry, which would be a noble decision for me. I, uh, <laughs> I don't think I, I was clever enough. I, I was very fortunate that my friends, my yeah, definitely helped me um, with my grades. But um, yeah, so I think obviously from the games that I played with them and I don't know. Yeah, they just, they were keen to sign me. It, it was funny. I went up to, with my dad to watch a game um, at Wickham of Wasps and I sat down with David Davis, who was the chairman. And we talked about numbers. 
and then and then I got the contract through the post, and it was half as much. <laughs> <laughs> so, but at that point, I, I think, it's, yeah, I just, I just, it's just something I wanted to do, and you know, it was, I have to be honest, it was barely enough to live on. But um, I, I live with my with my, my now wife uh, together with another couple in a two bed flat, and you sort of just you make it work. And I, I was obviously glad I did. Well, you're young, you had a job, you know, you had a pathway. So you're on that pathway then to uh, rugby stardom. So for your four years at Wasps, what, what, was that, what was that like? Because obviously they were training in Acton, playing at Wickham. And, you, had, you mm. know, uh, was this when, trying to think, it was, it was Gatlin coach then at the time? Sort of the guy who signed me, he left at the summer that I joined and uh, Ian McGeekin came in. Um, so he was, he was leading the team with Sean Edwards. And I forget, I think it was Craig Dowd was a forwards coach then um and yeah it it was a very surreal experience for me because i'd sort of come from my community rugby club back at home and played the summit and and then went to uni and it was obviously the big club in the town but i, I played like once or twice for the 18 but pretty, it was very low-key and then i turned up and wasps were literally they were the team in england at the time they yeah. just won the european cup and they'd, they'd done the double year before I think like in terms of like, the quality of plays they had it was it, it it and I think that probably my first year I turned up and I sort of looked around and there was lads the same age as me but had been in the system for longer and I, I could see how far behind I was physically so I, I think I just really focused on on working as hard as I, I think I basically sort of said to myself that you just can't let anyone work harder than you so I was always doing extra gym weight sessions and stuff like that and yeah I had it my first year was amazing I was very lucky I got um young player of the year um at was against some like, fantastic players as well who've gone on to do great things and that's something I was very proud of I think the slight disappointment if I reflect on on myself I think um the second season the thing that would really would have helped me develop I, I probably needed to get more more input from the coaches and I wasn't very good at being forthcoming and finding out what I needed to work. When you've got a club like that and obviously the players they have, like, you know, you're talking about Lawrence Delario and Matt Thornton and Simon Shaw and Joe Worsley and like Josh Lucy and Danny Cipriani was just coming through. It, you, you, you're talking about you know, like proper rock stars. It, I was probably maybe if I'm honest I was probably a bit intimidated and I didn't get the input I needed to further my development um, on the field and, and that's something that's that's my fault I should have I should have been better at that but it, it it was a fantastic place to be and I will always be so grateful one they gave me an opportunity but two just to see how you know the best in the business do it watching Sean Edwards the way he operated was was just phenomenal um the intensity he could bring to a changing room or a meeting room or on the field is, you know, is something that was always stayed with me. And I think that's something that I feel privileged to have had the experience. I, I wish I'd made more of it and, and maybe and played more more times for the first team. But you know, I was behind Simon Shaw and George Gibbonton and Richard Burkett, and all of them have played international rugby. And I was 21 coming out of university and was a little bit podgy, still a bit skinny. And, and had a lot of work to do. So it, it, it was great to learn. I, I remember I did quite a lot of 23rd Man, which is where you travel. It's like traveling back up reserve yeah. in case anyone got injured in the warm up. And so I'm sure like, he was coming towards the end, but he still played like loads of seasons 
after an even. Well, he played the Lions in 09, didn't he? So he, he got his first test cap in 09, didn't he? Uh, he I, I think he travelled and uh, on this is his fourth tour and he got his first test cap in 09. So uh, he's yeah, quite robust, I think. But look, I think Absolutely. Uh, it's quite hard. You, you're a young lad. Maybe the coaches should be more forthcoming with that advice when you're someone who's so young and new into that system. But were you loaned out to any clubs at all to help you get your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was a real good thing for me. So first of all, I went to Blackheath. Um, they were in, oh man, it gets confusing, but they were like in Nat 1, what what National 1 is now. So it would, but it would have been Nat 2 back then because it was yeah. Division 1 and all that stuff. Brilliant, because I, I sort of really was invigorated by going on loan because not that you become, you just become more important to the team. So the coaches were talking to you a bit more and you're obviously getting the game time and yeah, you're much more in the mix, which is fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I really benefit from being Blackheath. And then obviously when I went to Welsh, it was, it was playing at a higher level and um, but getting the same sort of input and it, it, it made a real difference to me, yeah. So that was, that was season, so you were there at Wasp for four years, so season three, Blackheath loan, season four, That's London right. Welsh loan. So the first two years, you just, I suppose, getting experience in the environment and playing A games, is that, is that right? That's right? Yeah, a lot of A games. Um, we had a great A team. We actually won the A League a couple of times, got to a final, and that, that was, you know, I played in those and that. We had some great nights up at Leicester, um, playing the final, and probably, I think they were both at Leicester. But, um, yeah, that was, that, that was brilliant night. And, the eighteen then was was a really high standard as well, and the A League was actually much more. It was quite a fierce competition. But from that sort of point, even in my time, the squad started getting a bit smaller, and and Premiership teams had to pull people in from local teams. It was great for people to get an opportunity, but it wasn't it wasn't quite the same as having people who were trained. Um, so no, I think it was my second year. I went to Blackheath, and then third and fourth years um, I was at Welsh. So I did two years on at Welsh. The first, my third year was when I was still training full-time at Welsh. That was a crazy year. So I was, I'd play 18 on a Monday. I'd be down at Welsh on Tuesday, Thursday nights. So I was training in the day with a the club. Then I'd play Saturday. And I, I think in, it was like a three-week period where I, I played like five games or something. It was, it was just a bit too much for me. And the sort of the way that I was, I wanted to play all the time. So I was playing like 18 minutes as well. And this is sort of before, it's much better managed now. People's game time is much more managed. And, Academy directors have got bigger staff because back then it was, I think there was only one guy looking after all of us on loan and it was just a lot for him to do probably to, to manage all that. But yeah, no. And obviously that going down to London Welsh really sparked everything off for me. But you're getting game time, you get experience. And when you're young, I suppose you just want to play, don't you really? I think in the, in Absolutely. The end. So, yeah. so, you, so you didn't do pre-season the first year you came to London Welsh because you obviously done that Wasps. You came to yeah. us, and was it when Martin Jones was in charge, yeah? When you had to manage your London Welsh games and your Wasps A games, that sort of thing, yeah? That's absolutely right, yeah, that, that was it. Uh, that, that, um, Dave Jackson, the photographer at London Welsh, did me, uh, for my 100 games, he did me like a little montage. And it's so funny seeing the shirts and the shorts that we were playing in in my first game, like super baggy and my hair's all young and my skin looks all fresh. <laughs> it, it, a few years in the game, you look very different. That's what nine years London Welsh does for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but look, you know, I think you know you, you've made in, in your first season. You know, again, just it's maybe just um, a shape of things to come. But you played a lot of games, and that's one thing that throughout your career in the Welsh is your consistency in terms of the number of appearances you play week in week out. You know, maybe not always starting, but you played every week. 
But in that first season, you went back to Wasps in the February and you played Premiership rugby still for them. So how many times did you actually play Premiership for, for Wasps? I think it was only it was only like one or two. There was oh, like, okay. I think there was a couple that season and then I might have had a cup game. But it was all off the bench and, uh, and it, there was never loads of time involved. Um, I think I probably, you know, I, I made some great friends at London Wasps. And like I said, it was, it was a great experience. But I think I probably never really got fully got the confidence of the coaches to, to chuck me in. And it was funny, the year that actually, the fourth year at, well, at Wasps, they, they had a bit of an injury crisis and there was an opportunity for me to go back, but it was really last minute. And I, I think I think Danny probably said no, but I, I, I wouldn't have left Welsh in the lurch after they've been so good to me anyway. So it's funny how it works out. I've sort of been waiting for that opportunity for, for a couple of years and it, and it wasn't until I couldn't take advantage of it. But that's just how things go, I suppose. So you're a full-time pro at Wasp, and then when you signed on a permanent deal at the end of your second season at Welsh, would that have been a you know, permanent London? Because London Welsh professional then, when they when Danny was in charge. That's right. So my fourth season at Wasp, that was the first year that Welsh was professional. Yeah. Um, so it was quite nice for me transitioning because London Welsh was still sort of setting up. So it was for, 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 for professionalism, it was a little bit rough around the edges still. So it was nice. I could still go up to Wasp and get my raid the supplement cupboard and get a little massage and maybe get a bit of kit and then uh, and then go back home and so in, in terms of me transitioning it was it was quite a gentle way and and then in the daytime I'd obviously spend all my time at Welsh with the boys and and sort of uh, helping them be as successful as possible and it was fantastic we've trained at the Westminster University and there was the gym was right on the river in in the boathouse so like in in the winter when it, the water was all misty and like throwing a bit of tin around with the lads. It was, it, it was really a nice place to be, actually. That's what I was going to ask you, actually. What was your first impressions of London Wells, having been... I mean, obviously, Acton, having been there with the minis and youth, the same facilities that you, your wasps were training, you know, um, back yeah, yeah, in the yeah. day. So it's probably not as glamorous as people think it is. And but, oh, no. but then coming to London Wells, it's probably a step below that again, isn't it? Because there wasn't a gym on site. So what was your first impressions of the, of the club when you got there with, with, with you know, the, the setup and things? It's funny. So I, I, when I first came, it was still Tuesday, Thursday night. So it's just like pretty dark Richmond night. And I, I remember, um, I can't remember what, what year it was, but I remember Wame and Sunya. Uh, they came from, from Fiji. I think yeah. they came from Fiji, but it was freezing cold. And the two of them were in this, the biggest coach I've ever seen. And it, I think just the, the sort of community feel and like Rosie was telling you about the Citra Picasso that came flying down the M4 from Wales and we all would just sort of come from our different places and obviously there's a lot of boys that really established as well but it was um it, yeah everyone came and they came for the reason you know to sort of better themselves and better the club so it was yeah it was it was a really good place to be and I, i've always enjoyed training on the front line, so it was quite nice i liked i liked even training so when did that move then to when you went into full time at, at welsh when were they training in the week at old deer park and was that was that like the season afterwards uh, oh, that is a good question. So we went to the University of Westminster, which is just up the road, and we trained yeah. on their pitches. That was with Danny. And then I can't remember when we came back. Um, we must have done a couple of seasons up there. And then we came back, and <clears throat> I think we used we used a gym around the corner, um, and that's when we were training on the pitches. That would have been with Lynn, because we trained at uh, OVP with Lynn. Um, and then, obviously, a bit later on, we got the big marquee full of... Uh, for the weights, which is great until it blew away. Yeah, <laughs> the, photos, the photo, 
the photos came up on my um on my like memories on my phone. I completely forgot about it the other day. And it's just like this marquee mangled with loads of dumbbells flying around. It's funny. Uh, those weights were under the stand for a number of years afterwards, and we've we managed to clear, <laughs> we managed to clear a lot of it this summer. So uh, to hopefully look at refurbishing the stand at some point. But look, uh-huh. you, 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 you were with Martin Jones for a couple of years, and then Danny Wilson took over. Did you feel though that with the with the professionalism coming into the team, um, we're becoming more competitive? In the division and we could have a run at promotion potentially yeah like absolutely and and, and danny was you know he, he, he it's no surprise to me that he's gone on to to do so well because he he sort of really understood how to motivate people and he sort of i, I was listening to his podcast with you the other day and he, he was really honest with us he, he was completely honest even when when things started going a little bit south he was honest and he was always really on his big thing was stabbing the belly not in the back and he would if you weren't doing what he wanted, he would tell you. And sometimes that was uncomfortable, but it gave him the opportunity to be better. And that that sort of culture that he set, I think that definitely helped us, you know, because sometimes in, in semi-professional rugby, and I think it's changed a lot, it, it, it wasn't, it's not about the facilities, it's about your attitude and the things that you're trying to do. That's what professionalism is to me. And I think that's what Danny really brought. Um, and honestly, was a big part of that. So yeah, and we were drawing on a lot of people's experience. A lot of the lads had, like myself, had, had experience of being in professional environments, but hadn't worked out for numerous reasons. And I think a lot of us had a point to prove. Um, and, and that, and Welsh gave us the opportunity for that, which was, you know, I will always be eternally grateful for. You know, because he chatted a lot about camaraderie, didn't he? And how a week with the army defined you as a group, because that was challenging <coughs> on a number of fronts, because it was, it was around the time of the Hollingshead saga, which people didn't know if they had a job or not. And also you were going through hell with the army camp. (laughs) It's that army camp. And I know people have talked about it. It, And I think this was his plan. I remember Danny saying, I've never was ever scared of any fitness that anyone ever set me at any other club or any other part of my life, because it could never be harder than what we did. It was bonkers. I actually missed the day because I was ill. We did like a sheep dip. So we did, we were wading through these like reeds and water and then, you had to, they actually put you, pushed you underneath like this little underwater bridge and obviously breathed in and took a mouthful, but the next day my guts were all over the place. But it was just, like from the first day we turned up and did a bit of salt course and that was pretty brutal. But then, in the, so we had some lunch and then we were carrying telegraph poles between groups of four of us on like a four mile jog and it was just insane. But I, I, I'm, this is a weird thing to say, I'm really grateful for it. Because like I said, there was, there was never a time we'd do running or any other fitness that you, you were ever worried because you, you know you, you sort of have this understanding that you just keep going. And I think some to be fair, some boys didn't. Some boys got hurty hamstrings and we ended up <laughs> yeah. There was only there was only three of us carrying a telegraph pole in my group, but you sort of you find out what you're made of and that's actually something that I'm I'm grateful for because you sort of you know that you'll keep going and you sort of learn about your own resilience and you learn about the characters of those around you and that's that's something that's really valuable and I think that's probably what when we talk about why that week was so special and what bound us together it, it, it stripped away a lot of a lot of stuff and you saw people for who they are you've seen that haven't you in previous things like living with the lions haven't you with it they, they go away and do that sort of mm-hmm. thing and and that sort of camaraderie brings you together it also sit, looks a bit sounds a bit like that SAS show doesn't it on channel four that you've yeah. all been through that it just sounds like really brutal but actually helped sort of corral you, corral you together as a team and 
and you sort of went from strength to strength this because I think in, in in that sort of season across the first couple of seasons you were at um, Underwell, you were most improved player of the year and the supporters player of the year. So you're obviously doing something right in your early days at London Welsh. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I stopped getting them after that, though, so maybe maybe I stopped playing as well. But it, no, it was. <clears throat> I think um, the, the first one most improved was from the coaches, and that's obviously great. To, you know, if the coaches feel like you're putting in the effort and you're making the changes that they want to see, that that's a real good pat on the back. But receiving the supports player is, is really special because, like the London Welsh supporters, are just such a great, you know such a great group of people and such a great community. I think that's actually a better way to talk about it. And and I felt, obviously I was there a long time, so they probably didn't have a lot of choice, but I felt like I was really embraced um, by them. I remember John Taylor telling me I was an honorary Welshman, which was obviously, uh, was, was a high praise indeed. So, um, it, yeah, it, it's them sort of things. They're always nice and uh, you can't, you can't judge too much by them because if you don't get them, that doesn't mean you're not, you're not a good player. It doesn't mean you're not improving, but, to be recognised is, is great. And like I said, the supporters one was very special. Yeah, and they still are, and they're still turning up in their droves, even though we're playing level six, they're, they're loving being part of that <laughs> environment. And you're right when you say, you know, community, it, it really is that sort of strength of community that, that we have down at that club. Yeah. You, you know what, Gareth, as well, and I think uh, it's funny because you reflect on your career and I was lucky to play at the level I played at. And there's obviously people who played it for longer and, and there's people I've played with who have played higher and, but I think the great thing about rugby is it's actually, as long as you've got people who really care about a club and are passionate, like I can imagine you still get several hundred people for lunches and everyone still standing outside in summer talking as people are walking back up to the steps of the club, like to the changing rooms. And they're the, the memories and the rugby experiences that players are having. And I don't think they're any less valuable than you know, playing in front of 80,000 people. It's, it's obviously a great privilege to be able to do that. And the people who do that are very lucky. But I think the people who get to play rugby even in front of like a smaller crowd, but who are equally passionate and who love the club and playing for a club you love is is, is, is still a great privilege. Yeah, look, and we play and they play at Oldie Park, don't they? Still, but look, we, we've had, like, you know, you've been at Oldie Park and there's three and a half thousand there. You've been at the Kassam and there's ten thousand there. So it's all be great. But with Danny though, his last game was a uh, we lost that our sort of first sort of playoff semi final against Bristol. And we lost yeah. 28-15. So that was a, the sort of... Um, but that's when we sort of really sort of, I think, belief, I think, within the players and the camp and mm. maybe with the, I suppose, I don't want to say investors, but, you know, but Kelvin and the like were thinking, right, do you know what? We could potentially do this. And did the players feel that as well? You know, even though you lost in that first semi-final, you think, actually, you know, with a few more tweaks here and there, we could you, we could make something of this squad. Oh, yeah, we really weren't far off. And I, I, I don't think, you know... I think we did come up short against Bristol at that point, but I think we realised that we weren't actually that far short and we we knew that if we could put more in of us as a group and as a team and we could really go places. So yeah, I absolutely think that was that was instrumental. And I think you see a lot of these teams, you know, you watch Exeter Rise, it's you don't go from the bottom to the top there's a process that you go through and building confidence as you go is off on the way and that was that was the first rung on the ladder for us I would say. No, well, so, so obviously Danny, Danny moved on and Phil Greening came back it came into charge so what, mm. what were the changes around the camp that, that sort of Phil brought in? Phil and Mike like they had such great energy and, and great enthusiasm and they said what was nice was they set some really high standards they 
they wanted us to be very adaptable and to be able to change the things we were doing quite a lot. And at times, unfortunately, I think we fell short of that as a playing group. Um, but yeah, no, that, that was that was probably the main thing. And you know, Phil and obviously Mike Friday's gone on to do great things, and, and Phil's you know doing really well as well. So two great blokes to sort of have in charge. And I think they really understood about making it fun as well. So we had some good laughs. That's amazing. thing. Look, look at all these coaches that you've you know um, been coached yeah. by, or ex-players who are coaches. You've got like all their numbers on speed dial. You know, you've got obviously <laughs> Sean Edwards in France, Ian McGeek, and all these people you've got now who could help you with, you know, uh, and your coaching pathway. But look, you know, I think, you know, that season with Phil Green again ended up in the semi final defeat to the Pirates, you know, at Menai Field, with eight, you know, 18 10. But it's during this season, right? So I think that might have been your fourth season, maybe, or, or fourth or fifth season. You'd already played your 100th match for the club and yeah. 100th league appearance, you know. And I suppose with those playoffs, and some of those playoffs are bonkers because there was eight teams in the playoffs at one stage, wasn't there? It was madness. They, they, I, th- I feel like the championship was like an experimental league for like world rugby at one point because they, <laughs> they changed they changed the rules almost every year. And uh, yeah, no, I I was looking at some notes and I, I, some of these some of these seasons I played over I played over thirty times, and that is I, I'm glad the players don't have to do that now because in terms of you know, by the time the end of the season came around, I was I was in bits and a bit. Of, we were lucky that we had quite good off seasons at that point. But um, yeah, without them, I think I think I'd have been really sort of in trouble even by September. But no, I, I remember hearing something at the beginning of my career, and it was Martin Corey, the old England number eight, and he said um, he said the two things that he always focused on. He, he was going to be fit every week, and he said he played with like a broken hand and. I wouldn't recommend that to any young players, obviously, but he would make every single effort he could to be on that field to, to maintain the shirt. And he would be the best at things that took no skill. And I think that sometimes the emphasis is sort of lost on those things. And, you know, that's definitely the things that take no skill. Like everyone's got to be able to clear a rock and make a tackle. And then and then that's what you build your game on from there. But you have to have those foundations in, in place for coaches to be able to trust you. Because at the end of the day, that them putting you in the team, they're saying that they trust you to do the things they want you to do and um, that's something that has always made me happy to play as much as possible I think I've always felt more comfortable getting the diesel engine going and just, just keep ticking over Yeah no so you, I mean your consistency is amazing we'll, we'll come on to that in, in the Premier in a minute but, so, but Phil I'm not, I'm not sure why Phil you know we lost the semi-final then Phil moved on and Mike moved on and then obviously Sir mm. Lynn Jones comes in so what was your early impressions of Lynn then because um, I suppose he's Maybe again, quite a different coach to, to, to others and different techniques. He's quite a character, though, isn't he? There's not another single person in the world, let alone coaching, <laughs> like and, and that's what makes him so special. I, th- I think I think Mike and um, Mike and, and Phil, they, they sort of between them and the board, had, had become their relationship become a bit difficult by the end. And I think that's probably why they maybe sort of all chose to, to go in different directions. But I, I remember my first meeting with Lynn. He met with some of the senior players and. I can't remember what we were talking about, but he gave me a funny look and started writing notes. And that that was sort of his way, really. I think he didn't, he understood how to convey his message. It wasn't just by telling people, it was by telling people. And he's almost like a you know, cross between a preacher and a presenter, I'd say, because some of the meetings just, we would just be laughing so hard and be having such a good time. But we'd also understand that when it was time to be serious, that, that was what was necessary and he, you know he, he was amazing I think in that first season he, he had a few people coming in to help him out but it was pretty much Lynn doing 
the forwards, the backs, the attack, the defence. He had like a scrum coach and, and maybe like a backs coach come help him out because he couldn't be in two places at the same time. But it sort of shows what sort of what sort of coaching character he is. And there's a lot you know I've learned from him that I've I've definitely taken through my career and into my coaching as well. Yeah. Because Gordon Ross was helping out probably, you know, from time to time, because he's as a senior yeah, he, 10, you know, imagine right, helping yeah, yeah. then. But the key thing yeah. was Lynn, I think, uh, I remember having a chat with Lynn, um, you know, prior to, you know, when he was at the club and things, he seemed to want to build uh, for the playoffs. So not so that, so we finished fourth that season, but it's all about peaking to, to, to be, you know, to do well for, for those playoff games. Absolutely. And this is like, just all going back to where we started. This is something I was very grateful for was for learning and they were the masters of this as well. It's all about the business end of the season and that's what I used to call it. And it, it doesn't matter where you are at Christmas, as, as long as you're in that fourth spot come the end of the season and you, that's when you're peaking. That's, you know, there, there was a lot of talk about Wasps, you know, nicking the finals and, and never winning the league. But that's the competition. The competition is you have to win the, the playoff and and, and that's that's what we focused on. And yeah, Lynn completely understood that as well. And that's something that he um he, he really sort of led us towards. So what do you remember of that season, you know, the the, um, the promotion season? Because did you did you, you know, whilst Lynn is, you know, telling you he's got belief in you, did you generally think having you know playing your games at ODP, you'd be playing in the premiership the following season? I think I suppose for me personally, and everyone's different on this, I always simplify things and the thing that I was in charge of was what happened on a Saturday on the field, on the match day. And that was just, I just poured all my energy into that. And, you know, our, the least we could do is put the RFU in a really difficult situation where they can tell us not to go up. And even to win the league, for me, at that point, I, I feel like I remember that would have still been a massive achievement for us. And um, that was that was just what we put our, our energy into. And you, you can't really you can't really have loads of conversations about winning something until you've won it. So you, you have to be process driven and talk about how you're going to win the next game. Cause it's just win the next game, win the next game, that'll get us to where we want to be. And, and that's during the season, that's, they sort of stack up back to back. And, and that's the things that you focus on just that week in, week out being successful. And, you know, if you can sort of control that, that'll get you to where you want to be. No, so I understand that. I see there's a lot of work. I remember you know, um, all the, so RFU, there's like a big book, isn't it? You have to, to make sure you're uh, fit and able to host premiership matches. And so loads of work mm. behind the scenes should be together. But look, you win promotion and still, you know, on June the 4th and by June the 30th, you then get told you, you're able to go to the premiership. So when did you celebrate? You obviously celebrated your final because when you talk, when we're talking to lots of former players on this podcast series, you know, a lot of them have gone through the careers not having won much. So to win the championship is what you did in that season. You know, that night coming back, you know, coming back from the Kassam to London Welsh would have been a, a, a good night, wouldn't it? It was amazing. It was, it was just such an amazing experience. And I think the way that we did it, going down, going down to Pirates and hearing about like, on the morning of the final that we weren't going to be able to go up. And, you know, I remember the place in the hotel where we where I was standing when someone crossed me on the stairs telling me the news and yeah we couldn't have had more motivation and blowing away then and then obviously finishing the job at Kazam was just fantastic and like I said that's that's all that we, we as players and, and and Lynn that's all we could do is is do the job and, and we've done that and we were going to celebrate that obviously because it's you know it is an achievement and a lot of people go through their careers not winning anything so we were 
right to right to celebrate, Gareth. Yeah, wh why not? Look, you're also captain quite a lot that season for the probably first time because Millsy um, had was injured for four or five months, and so you, you know, that's when suppose you sort of develop more of your leadership skills and having to take, you know, that on and you know help help the players, I suppose, prosper, you know, on that way to the the finals. Yeah, he, he managed to managed to come back in the end when he got excited. You know, it was just like he wouldn't, wouldn't miss a good party. But it, um, yeah, it, I think at first, like leading the team for me, it was quite a responsibility, and I think it actually sometimes affected my own performance, which I, I found a bit frustrating. But it's you know someone's got to do, it and it's important to have someone to actually you know sort of be that guy in front, but. I think the successful teams always have that really strong senior senior leadership team, and you know we had some great senior players. And I think even though I might have been captain, it was I was obviously going to be really helped by a lot of those guys as well. No, that's good. So as I said before, so you you won the final on the fourth, promoted on the thirtieth. How did that affect preparation from your perspective for for that prem season? I think because it because it was so turbulent, and it looked like there might have been a chance. I was just desperate to be ready. So I, I sort of remember having a bit of a break and then I didn't used to do a lot of training in the off-season. I, I was quite protective. I thought rest was very important. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite a good thing to convince yourself of. But um, I remember actually getting going just in case and that pre-season, I, I remember, as soon as we found out, <clears throat> it wasn't really, I don't know, I didn't really feel like I wanted to celebrate. I just wanted to prepare because ever since leaving Wasp, this was... This is what I wanted, and I was desperate. I was just desperate for us to be successful, um, and I wanted to just be in the best shape I could be. So yeah, I, I started training. I think pretty early, and I, I remember obviously the preseason was quite short. But Lynn wanted us to be fit. Um, he really wanted us to push our offloading game on, and I think he thought that us being a little bit more unstructured would would obviously be harder for the, the, the defenses in the Premiership to handle because obviously the game would become quite quite formulaic for some teams at that point so um yeah so it was it was fast and furious but it was it was intense and I, I think that was you know you, it would never be what you choose having less time to prepare than anyone else and in terms of you know like planning your squad that actually starts in January not not in July so trying to sort of put some of those big positions in place is it's obviously really difficult but um I suppose, I suppose we lucked out, didn't we? Because we had like Briggsy, Arthur Jolly, Arthur Jolly, Mancinella, Krill Krillman. You know, they all yeah. came, you know, yeah. during that that pre-season, which yeah. all stood, you know, the pack in a way and Absolutely. made the made the pack competitive. And that gives you a base end for that season, didn't it? Absolutely. Bordeaux going bust was one of the best things that ever happened to us. <laughs> we just sort of completely raided. And then yeah, to be fair to the like Frank and Briggsy, they, you know, I think Frank Montanella was one of the best leaders in the league for most of the season. When he got his new contract, he sort of got a bit more comfortable. <laughs> but um, he was, yeah, he was absolutely devastating. You know, he was really destructive. And Briggs, he was, he was a real galvanising force as well. Because, like I said, a lot of us had that had that point to prove. And I, I think that's what that's what really pushed us on. But you talked about your your pre pre season, and actually that meant you played you played in twenty out of the twenty two league games that season, the Premiership. So you had your, your dream season of, of terms of play consistency. You just missed out on the home game against Leicester, which was the first game, and the Bath game at the Kassam, where Nick scored. Nick Scott scored that mm -hmm. breakaway try. Now I'm thinking, is something behind this? Something sort of magic formula you've got for your consistency? Is it got something to do with your pre-match routine? Because 
most of our supporters will remember you carrying a foam roller on those bands and, and, and the way you warmed up um, before the match was probably ahead of its time for some players, but you were there doing it, which meant you could turn up week and week out and perform. Absolutely. Well, I, I, it definitely helped me. I think um, that's what I learned. And even in the week, I'd, I'd spend quite a lot of time before training doing like a little stretch. 30 to, four minutes, 30 to 40 minutes a couple of times a week and it, it just sort of helped me keep moving and keep playing and I, I wanted to play as much as possible so it, it wasn't it wasn't like a tough ask for me um, yeah and and it doesn't matter if you're home or away you've got to take it with you so yeah I, I have to say thanks to the strength and conditioning staff um, Cam and, and Lee Eldridge actually got me onto some of that band stuff and it, it made a real difference um, yeah but I think I think the thing that really made a difference to me is when I started taking my camping mat and away buses, getting a little bit of extra kick on the floor. Oh, it's lovely. <laughs> oh, the things you do, eh, to be ready. But look, you know, that's, <laughs> that, that season was was amazing. You know, I, I mean, I, I appreciate we got relegated, but can you point to a few things, you know, a few games or a few events that we just didn't get the rub of the green? Because you could, you know, I'm sure I could pinpoint them, but you're there, you know, week in, week out. And it's just a few things that oh. if, if you know if this had happened or this had happened, we could have got nicked a win there. Just, yeah, it's just I, fine margins, isn't it? There's absolutely. And, and I don't think anyone in, in, from London Welsh has ever forgiven Luke Pearce for the Sarri scrum because that was, that was just hanging out there for us. And I was really disappointed with Gloucester away, penalty last minute that they kicked. Should have done a bit better there. and Because even though with the points being taken off us, I still think that we had enough, enough for us to stay in the league. But like you said, it was, that was that was a tough one as well because we were out in front and they sort of um, it was very close come the end. I seem to remember, but yeah, um, yeah like you said, there, there wasn't loads in it, and I think we were the first time we were actually bottom of the table was when they they took the points. And I remember Lynn sort of saying afterwards how it just sort of sapped us a little bit and. Not, not noticeably, not noticeably in training. Everyone was still fully committed to the task at hand. But I think when you know something's going to be difficult and then someone makes it even harder, that's, that's, obviously, that's obviously a tough situation. But yeah, like I said, I, I still think we, we could have pulled it off, but um, it wasn't to be. Now, is it, I mean, for, for us supporters, it is a magical see, season, seeing us you know, competitive. And obviously by, you know, by Christmas time, we were well-placed and, Maybe it's our sort of, you know, um, our lack of depth, not just in terms of numbers of players, you know, not not just of the quality, just mm. you know, and that begins to to hurt you because you're not used to, you know, um, you know, the intensity of the game. I suppose. Do you know what I mean? It's just just hard, isn't it? Absolutely. And like you're playing in the European Cup, and they're for fixtures you've got to fulfil. And if if you've got a smaller squad, everyone's still playing in those and. Yeah, it, it's, it's a real challenge. Yeah, absolutely, and it. Anyone getting promoted from the championship it was always going to be that way, um, and I don't think we were under any, any illusions about that. But um, that is, yeah, part of the challenge. But look, you know, by that time you've been in the club six years, so you know you've been in the Premiership. So, so, so how often in that time do you have to have contract negotiations? You know, I don't want any sort of um, big exclusive here, Matt. How these no, went no. on, but just just in terms of you know, because this is your profession. You know, it's just how you get paid by playing rugby. So these are really important things when you're playing. So do you, do you, are they like every couple of years or something? 
Yeah, at the time, to be fair, at the time, and some people might tell I'm wrong, but back then it was pretty standard. You, if you were doing well, you'd get a two-year deal. And that was pretty much the longest you'd get. And then if they weren't too sure, you'd get a one-year deal. Just, you know, and there's like a one plus one where they could negotiate it and all them sort of stuff. But the, the sort of longer where people are getting like three and three even longer contracts is sort of more of a thing for the last five years, I'd say. So, yeah, I, my contract was up at the end of that year. Um, that we were in the Premiership, and I, I, I was talking to another club, and I think I sort of realised, and I signed quite early. And um, people probably say I was silly, but I realised that, that if there was any chance that we were going to stay up, I, I, I didn't want to miss that. Um, I didn't want to miss London Welsh playing in the Premiership, and I, I was happy to take the consequences of, of what happened either way. So that's that's sort of why I stayed with the club, and I think. The way that we were, even if it hadn't have gone well, I was still confident that we could have gone down and come back up again. Um, but yeah, that was that was it a difficult decision? I don't think it was that difficult. I was so invested emotionally in the club and I, I was so happy there. I wanted them to be successful. And you know, I, I could probably have left and played a few more premiership games, but I think when I look back, I'm I, I'm happy with the journey I had. So and so are we, Matt. So we're we're glad you stayed because you were made uh, club captain by Justin and with Tom May being brought in as, as team captain, you know, and uh you say we regrouped and you you know you obviously you were confident we could go back up and that's what happened. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I know. That and that was that was really special for a different it was special that we did it. It was also a funny year for me. My first son was born in um in the November. November, I remember playing, I had a funny week and I was playing against Leeds and I just kept feeling like I was going to black out and I, I came off like in the second half and I remember Justin going after the game, he was going, look, it doesn't matter if you're really tired like corpse, you've got to come off, like, you've given everything you've got. I was like, <laughs> I'm sure I'm not right. And uh, it turned out I had a regular heartbeat and I missed quite a lot of rugby um, for, the, for the rest of the till I suppose I come back in the beginning of February and it was a weird time because they didn't know, I didn't, wasn't super confident if what they do is they give you like an electric shock to get your heart back into normal rhythm and, and uh, I had to go on blood thinners because there were some clots in my heart and stuff and you sort of people say you probably are but you never really know and just actually after that was the longest I've ever been off I was very fortunate I've never had a long layoff so having like three four months out of the game was really strange and I couldn't really, I couldn't lift heavy weights or anything like that I was sort of in the gym, lifting up 15 kilos, watching the boys, just in case I got a bit dizzy. And it, it was a really strange time. And then coming back and actually being part of the, not only getting back in the team, but being part of the run, that being that run in. And then just like when Bristol, everyone thought Bristol were going to smash us and they were just the heirs apparent. And then to be there at the last, the last game ever, um, what was Bristol's old ground? Memorial um, Ground. And the last one at the Memorial Ground, they thought it was destined and, yeah, we were spoiling the party. It was amazing. Nice. Were you ever apprehensive, though, once diagnosed with that uh, condition and still playing professional sport? Or were, were the doctors and the treatments just allay your fears at all in any way? Yeah, I was very... Chris Jenkins, oh, people take the mick out of him, but he's a fan. And, and they should. They should do as well, shouldn't yeah. they? <laughs> 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 they should. He, he, yeah, <laughs> but he, he was fantastic. He really looked after me and I, I saw the best cardiac, sports cardiac doctor um, in London. He was fantastic. And it's quite common for tall people. Uh, a lot of rowers get it. And if you've done over 10,000 hours of, 
professional training. But for me, I think it was more that I'd had my first son and I wasn't sleeping and I was having coffee and training and that put a lot of pressure on my heart. But yeah, no, they, they I think you sort of do a bit of research and you, there's a lot of athletes who actually just crack on with it. And I sort of realised I just need to stop being a baby and just uh, just just get back in when I was feeling better. And, and I was very fortunate it didn't come back because that was, I had to sort of adjust my lifestyle, try not to drink too much. And um, I didn't really have any coffee, didn't really have any caffeine for like a long time, which with the kids is obviously challenging. <laughs> but, um, but it was worth it, you know, not having a cup of coffee so I could play rugby again was, you know, just a small price to pay. As you say, you know, being Bristol, home, you know, across both legs um, in that playoff final, just, yeah, just, just that was a, I mean, I was lucky to be one of the very few London World supporters in the ground that, that day. And it was, that's you were me. We look back, you know, it's yeah. magic, magical moments. You're on the field afterwards with, you know, with oh, the man. players and stuff. And the two boys were with me. They were lucky as well to be there. And well, it, just, hey, it, it, was, it was just, yeah, yeah. We look that back and you, you're there living and breathing, playing it. But it's like just to be there as a supporter was fantastic. So again, another bus journey back to ODP and uh, a few beers, the boys. So I think I remember the day yeah, afterwards, yeah. there was a dinner at the club, wasn't there? I think Gordon Ross hasn't been to bed, I don't think, and he'd been on the piss, on, on the piss um, oh. for like 24 hours or something. I'd completely forgotten about that, Gareth. Yeah, that was that was a bit rugby. That was, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was amazing. Yeah, the whole thing, like the first leg of it, um, of the Kazam, um, it was just absolutely hammering it down. Yeah. And we completely destroyed them with our line-up drive, which obviously... Was you know, was um, was brilliant for me. I really enjoyed that, and I think I got mad at a match for it because basically I just called to myself all night and took all the line out balls, which is as every good line out caller should do. Never let anyone tell you any different. But um, <laughs> but for us just to impose ourselves, not only in the wet but like in that first game, yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, and I think it just it rattled them a bit as well, like really undermined their confidence because I think they thought they were going to come and beat us, and we just. Smashed them, yeah. Brilliant. Well, they thought they'd beat you comfortably the home leg and didn't happen. Look, we won back in the Premiership mm. with Justin again, you know, and obviously a challenging year, not winning any games in the Premiership. But looking you know, at when talking to Tom, he said he loved that challenge, you know, even though you're massive underdogs, you know, no one, no one was down in the squad. Do you, do you have the same sort of recollection? Absolutely. And we sort of talked about the rugby camp, but in terms of like formative experiences, um, just sort of seeing how you just pick yourself back up every week. All the boys do the same. They turn up for Monday for training. We looked at what we, you know, what we could fix and we went back to work and, and rolled up our sleeves and it, it was really tough. And it, the league had changed a lot, um, even in the season we've been away. I think they sort of brought in the marquee player rule. And it seemed to be like there was international players coming off the bench, which that, that wasn't the sort of situation before and the sort of quality had really gone up. And, it was a really tough challenge. I, still obviously disappointing, you know, to sort of come short the way we did. Um, but it, it was a big challenge. And I think in the face of it, what I take away was the fact that we did all keep fighting. And like Tom yeah. says, it was a tough year for him, obviously being captain on the field. And yeah, it, being out to realise that you will just keep going and keep trying is, you know, is something that, I think it was a great learning experience in a obviously tough situation. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that you know, maybe we, we brought too many new players in and you know and changed a championship winning side too much. But look, you know, you know, what do they know? They're not in that environment. People did what they thought was oh. right to, to, to attack that the Premiership, didn't they? 
Absolutely. In no professional environment, you know, people's livelihoods and their reputations are at stake. No one's going to do what they don't think is right. I think exactly. from, from my perspective, it was tough. Our power game that had, had stood us really well in, in the champ, it's obviously hard to, to sort of do the same thing in the Prem because everyone's also big as well. And we were quite focused on being on being big and heavy. And I, I think that's sort of, from my own perspective, I was the heaviest I've ever been. But... I couldn't really carry it very well, so I don't think I was moving quick enough. That's part of my own challenge. But um, yeah, it, like I said, everyone was definitely trying their best. Um, it just shows, I suppose, the golf like, that was sort of starting to happen between the champ and the prem. Yeah, and and, it's def- yeah, it's definitely, and it's got and it's definitely got wider now, hasn't it? Um, over the last yeah. two, three or four years. But it also sort of highlights the the, the unfairness of the challenge. Like get, finding out you get promoted so late when the, the players left on the market are relatively few and it's um, yeah it's, it, it was a very difficult thing to succeed at I would say yeah definitely so we played another year in the championship I suppose the highlight of the next season was winning another trophy which is the B&I That's Cup ne- do you know what I mean never <laughs> lost a single five finals with London Welsh never lost one look at that was, uh, that's, yeah. that's something, I'm, something I'm very proud of yeah and that was that was actually I think something that was probably not anticipated by myself. There was definitely a hangover um, in terms of our confidence from not from not winning the game. That September was very difficult, and it took us quite a while to find our feet. And even though we should have been probably operating a slightly higher level, we were a bit shaky for quite a long time. It was a very tough season, like for for Roland. I remember him being up the front and, and finding it quite difficult just to spark the boys back up again. But but going. You know, a full season and not win a game—that's that's, that is quite heavy at, yeah. at times. And I think that's probably the price that we paid. But managing to find a real positive and and win that trophy—I remember the semi-final being out. Um, where was that? Was that against Leinster? Yeah, I think it was Leinster. Um, that was fantastic. We came from behind on their like artificial pitch, and yeah, absolutely brilliant game. No, it's great. No, and to, to win to be an Cup, I say it's great. And that was that was that was really your, your last season with the club. And I know. You were trying to um, hopefully make it a tenth season and get a testimonial, which is quite quite rare. But um, it wasn't forthcoming. So at, at the time, you know, how disappointed were you? And maybe to, you know, if you think about what was going on behind the scenes, you know, maybe that started to tell. Maybe they couldn't afford to keep you, or just you know, whatever was going on behind the scenes affected sort of the decision making process. Yeah, it was. It was. I think my real sadness about me leaving the club, if, if I'm honest, is that. I, I never, I was there a long time and had some amazing memories. I never really got to say a proper goodbye. Um, and, you know, there were so many, so many supporters and the staff and everyone involved in the club had just been so fantastic to me, like from Anton, the chef, and all those people that, uh, you know, you just spend so much time with. And I, I didn't really get that opportunity, it, you know, to tell the story from my perspective. I sort of, I'd been talking, I'd had a few conversations, and it wasn't really until, um, two weeks before the end of the season, I sort of started hearing about all these second rows that were getting signed and I hadn't finalised my deal. And I, it, was, it was in the uh, Cornish Pirates Hotel again, like where we found out. <laughs> all the it's bad news, yeah. Things. Well, everything goes full circle, doesn't it? Yeah. And um, I sort of found out that, that I wasn't really in the plans. And I remember having a conversation with Steve Lewis that I wasn't really in the plans. And I just had my second son in January and I was obviously... You know, not a young professional anymore. Um, 
I sort of had a couple of weeks to sort of work out what my next move was. And yeah, we had been talking about a testimonial and that was something I was excited about. They're quite challenging things to organise as well. And logistically, that was going to be quite a big undertaking. But it, the thing for me is, I, I, it wouldn't matter if I've had 10, 11 or six seasons with the club. But I, I was, you know, having nine seasons and playing as many times as I did is something I'm really proud of. And it was just such a great thing to be a part of. And you, you think about careers, you know, in your working career, nine years isn't all of it, but in your rugby career, it's pretty much your whole career, you know, and I, I love spending it. And we sort of talked about, I might not have changed teams, but I've played under loads of different coaches and had loads of different experiences in, in the sort of same place. And it was sad to find out on such short notice because it made it difficult for me. And yeah. the funny thing is, you sort of, you seen it. I've seen it happen to other people. And you're like, no, I'm, I'm sure it won't happen to me. The thing is, you're still surprised when it happens to you. That was the funniest thing. Because, you know, professional sports cut through it and that's just the way it is. And it's, and I'm not saying it was an easy decision for the people behind the scenes. Maybe they weren't sure. And maybe there was, I know there was a lot of talk of the new investor coming in. And I think maybe I hinged on that. And yeah, <laughs> we always would talk about making a film out of London Welsh and, and the time we had there because it would be absolutely amazing. Um, but, yeah, so that was obviously sad for me not to not to be able to. It, it, it doesn't spoil anything for me because oh, I had such a fantastic time there. I think we were all disappointed for you at the time, but obviously, you know, three, you know, four or five months into the next season, you know, London Welsh going to administration. You know, Trevor does Trevor doesn't come up with the goods. We'll get bledding on the podcast and get the ins and outs of what went yeah. on behind the scenes <laughs> with, with with Trevor. Uh, and that, we want to know. We want to know. Let's find out. Yeah, the Californian investment thing. But look, uh, sounds as far fetched now when you think about you know the Hollingshead saga and all that sort of thing, doesn't it? it? But look, you get know, it in the movie. yeah, we were gutted for you. But look, when you signed for Richmond, because that's, that's what happened next. You signed for Richmond, you had made. 247 first team appearances, right? Which puts you 10th on the all time list with two appearances fewer than Jeff Evans and six more than Mike Roberts. So you're in between two Lions from the 71 Lions tour there, but no one comes close to you and can match your 190 league appearances. No one is near. Millsy is a 133 and he's second. So he's, you know, what's that, 57? You're 57 ahead of him. That's just unbelievable consistency. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. And it, 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 yeah, uh, it's funny when you're doing it, you don't really, you know, you just sort of rack them up. But it, it, yeah, it's, it's, I feel very lucky that people do have careers that are 10 years long, but they don't actually spend anywhere near as much time on the field. And that's something that I was really grateful for. Like when I was at Wasps, I, I was sort of there, but I, I wasn't really right in the mix of the first team. And then I think when I got the chance at Welsh, I just wanted it. And I didn't, I didn't never wanted to let you go. I, I wanted that shirt. I wanted it to be mine. And I, I think that was probably my motivation. But for me to be able to play that many times is, uh, yeah, it's something I'm really proud of, actually. And, um, yeah, it's, I, I, can't, I can't believe Pauli didn't nick more off me. Look, many of, fair, but, yeah. we, played, we played a lot together. That's that's the But you know, <laughs> nine years, you know, the, the amount of consistent appearances you had in the engine room, right? This is not like an easy position to play. You also was your run of um, your fortune, not being injured because you know, for championship is really physical division. 
you know, and it, so that, you know, that's the great thing about it all. So to have, you know, the consistency you've had, the amount of appearances, it's, it's, uh, it's you know, it's, it's brilliant, I think. So, you, so you'll have to celebrate. So you just said you didn't get a goodbye. Well, you'll have to come back with your family and come, as a, come, come as a lunch. I know you're working on Saturdays now, but look, you know, um, when you're not, if there's a gap or whatever it is, is that when we have a home match, you can be our guest of honour at, at our club and come and have oh, lunch and, uh, you know, tell people what you're up to. Because you, because you oh. went to Richmond afterwards, didn't you, for another season in National One? Yeah, is that right? No, that was in, they'd, so they'd just been promoted. Right, so okay. I joined them after the break. So it was, it was really nice, actually. I, so I knew Steve Hill from, like I said, from the students days. And I, um, I gave him a ring and we met and he, he sort of took me on as a player coach. And I think it was nice for them to have someone who had some, you know, pretty good championship experience because that's something they didn't have loads of. And yeah, no, it was, it was really nice because the professional environment, like I said, it can be a little bit cutthroat. And London Welsh is like a real family there's always part of the businesses that are you know ultimately a business and and Richmond sort of provided me a slightly different part of my education in terms of rugby because it, they're very proud to be that community team and have that sort of that community feel and I, I think that's probably something that London Welsh are really emphasising now in their sort of what they're doing at the moment and um, yeah it, it was a great season actually it was great to help those boys stay up and the problem for me was at this point I'd actually moved back to Ramsgate, so I, I was commuting from Ramsgate to Richmond, so that's like a two-hour drive. And I was I was coaching. It, I, the club actually really did help me. They I got a job. I went for an audition in Hyde Park. Audition, a coaching session in Hyde Park, and I was coaching uh, Imperial College um, University. And they train at Heathrow, so that's nice and close to Ramsgate. And yeah. I also did a, I did a bit of coaching at Epsom College and School um, with Paul Burke and Simon Watlin. So that was sort of on my on my way around to Richmond, but I, I did a lot of driving and a lot of sitting on trains. But it, it was it was it was helped me in terms of part of my transition um, from full time rugby into into sort of semi professional and, and, and doing a bit more coaching and that sort of thing. And it was um, yeah, I, I learned an awful lot. And Richmond are a fantastic club as well, and it's that's why Southwest London is so lucky to have so many great clubs in such a such a small area. Yeah, look, and that started you on your coaching journey and you're now head coach at Canterbury. Look, you know, Matt, you know, you've had an amazing career under Welsh. You're, 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 I'd say, 10th on the all-time list of appearances, a hugely popular character with our supporters, uh, someone who's played so many games for us. You know, and but for you, what, you know, and your family, you know, what, did it, what did being part of London Welsh mean to you? Oh, it, it was, like I said, you know, they're my club, but that's, that's where I was. I think the most precious thing you have to spend is time, and that's where I, that's where I spent all my rugby playing time, like the, the main part of my career, and the, the part I'm most proud of was was at Welsh, and to be able to spend so long there was fantastic. And you know, the great thing for me about my rugby journey, I, I'm definitely not one of these blokes who can sit here and say I did it all by myself. I, I've been so well supported by my my wife. Um, when we were in Richmond, we had my first two boys, so they both came to see me play, and. And we talked about my mum and dad, but I remember in the early days, Gerald Davis used to give out the tickets and uh, he, um, I'd always sort of try and tap him up for a few spares. And I think my record was 27 tickets because like, all my family and friends have always just been so great in, in coming to watch me play. And, and that's something that I'd always remember from, from ODP and London Welsh and just not just the community of the club, but my own personal community coming to support me there, like my cousins and my sister and... I was looking at some 
digging out some photos for you and I was looking at the photos of the final and it was like there's a group of about 30 people I think my <laughs> mum and dad brought a minibus up from home and that's that's I think what's great about London Welsh is, it, is it's, it's just a place where people want to come and be as well and that is somewhere I've always been proud to bring my friends and family um, and you know just sort of show them what it's all about I suppose and they're all still very welcome, as are you. So look, <laughs> we're still playing rugby. That was having fun. I know, it's a couple, fantastic. Couple, couple of beers, you know, after a game and things. So look, it'd be great to see everyone back. You know, all the corkers back um, at the club at some point. So I appreciate you're, you're busy and, and it's a long way. But I have look, to sort the minibus out. You'll have to sort that minibus out. But thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been great catching up with you. And I'm glad things are going well and your ever-expanding family are all, are all well as well. So Matt, thanks for your time today and uh, we'll hopefully see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Gareth. Absolutely brilliant to speak to you, mate. No worries.